official podcast of Church at the Well in Burlington, Vermont. For more information about Church at the Well, including gathering time and location, events, and how you can financially support the podcast, please visit us online at wellchurchvt.com. We spent the last three weeks walking through the first three chapters of Daniel, and what we've seen so far in these first three chapters is there's been three separate incidents, one in each chapter, where Daniel and his friends, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, are forced into some significant tension. They're trying to figure out how do we remain faithful to God, true to our conscience, and and faithful to our convictions, while living in Babylon and serving this king named Nebuchadnezzar. And Nebuchadnezzar did not make that easy for them. He made it quite tense for them. Have you guys ever had someone in your life, maybe it was an authority figure, who made a decision that brought tension into your life? Yeah. When I first moved here um, to start the church, I was bivocational for the first five and a half years. And so I worked all kinds of jobs and One of those jobs that I worked was as a TSA agent. For three and a half years, I took people's toothpaste and patted them down and x-rayed their luggage. And I I remember this one time, even somebody from our congregation who I was a friend with came through and and I had to take his toothpaste. And he was like, Adam, you're kidding me. You're going to take my toothpaste. I'm "I'm so sorry. (laughs) And another time, I I remember my, my wife's boss came through the line and beeped the you know, the scanner, and I had to pat him down, which made for a real awkward Christmas party at his house. (laughs) I was the only one in the room who... (laughs) But I did that job for three and a half years because it provided medical benefits for our family, and it just provided for our family when our church was starting out. We didn't have any other income. And there was one time when my boss came to me and said, I'm going to have to move you to the morning shift Well, the morning shift there was you had to be there at 3.45 a.m. And we worked there until about 11.30. And I was a pastor of a church, which caused complications because on Sunday morning, I'm supposed to be someplace. (laughs) And so I said to him, I really can't do that because I'm a pastor and I have to be available for church on Sunday. And he said, well, you better just hope that you get a Sunday morning off on the bid. You've got a bid for it at seniority. And I was just like, oh, man, I really hope I get that. Because I'll have to quit this job, and I don't, I don't know how I'm going to provide for my family, um, why, I'm, why I'm planning this church. And so I just prayed, God, please make sure that nobody bids for these Sundays, because I was at the bottom of the totem pole as far as seniority. And I was like, please. And sure enough, God came through for me and provided. I still hated going to work at 3.30 in the morning, and then coming home and doing church work, and then going to bed at 7.30. That was just terrible. But... God provided for, for me. Have you guys ever had a boss make a decision that made your life more difficult? Yeah. Maybe you've had a teacher or professor spring something on you that was unrealistic last minute, right? Or perhaps a politician who made a decision that, that added some tension to your life. Well, Nebuchadnezzar added and created all kinds of tension for Daniel and his three friends. And here's the thing. Whenever we're forced into tension, we have three choices. We can decide to be cynical. We can decide to be apathetic. Or we can decide to be hopeful. 
See, tension will always drive us to one of those three roads. And the road of cynicism is ultimately a a retreat where we go uh, when we're concerned with protecting ourselves. Cynicism is is funny in the sense that it, it provides us with the illusion that we're being involved without doing anything. It gives us uh, the opportunity to offer solutions from a distance without being part of the solution. And so just to use my work example and story, if I would have chosen the path of cynicism, it would have looked like this. This whole system of of bidding on jobs and being forced to the morning show, it's all just dumb. It's just stupid. It's ridiculous. Well, Adam, why don't you join the committee that kind of like resolves these issues and brings them up to management? That won't do any good. Why would I ever do that? Right? That's, that's what cynicism looks like. The road to apathy, on the other hand, is when we're deciding to ignore tension in our lives. It, it's kind of equivalent if you're driving your car and your check engine light comes on and you just take a piece of duct tape to put it over it because you don't want to see it. If it's not there, maybe it's, maybe it's all fine. Maybe the car will be just fine. I just don't need to see that red check engine light. <laughs> yeah, if it's on long enough, the light, the light might die out and everything might be, it might just go away. And if I had chosen the path of apathy back when that work, work situation happened, it'd be like, oh, whatever, who cares? Right? And it would have affected my job, probably even my family life. I just would have went into this apathetic mode. But when we choose the road of hope, we're making a decision based on faith. We're saying to ourselves, the circumstances might not be good, but God is good. Right? We can choose to put our confidence in him. So when Mike and Lori are sharing the testimony of all these bad things that are happening, what are they doing? They're choosing the road of hope. Right? When I I was at that job situation and the boss said that to me, um, I, I went to prayer. Why? Because I was choosing the road to hope. Here's the thing about choosing the road to hope. It'll always lead to action. It's the only one that does. Cynicism doesn't lead to action. Apathy doesn't lead to action. But hoping in God does. And so one of the reasons we're teaching from the book of Daniel is because you and I, as followers of Jesus today, we're constantly living in tension. We're living in tension because we're called to live in the kingdom of God, And yet we're also living in a broken, sin-torn world. And so that tension brings us to these three roads all the time, cynicism, apathy, or hope. And and you can talk to anybody. Talk to anybody at your work or your neighborhood or your, your classroom and say, hey, what do you think of God's spirit working in the earth? What do you think of the church? They'll respond with one of those three things. They'll have a tremendous cynicism toward the church, they'll have tremendous apathy towards what God's doing in the church, or they'll be hopeful. And so this book, the book of Daniel, can help us to learn how to drive down the road of hoping and trusting in God in the midst of tension. It helps us to avoid apathy and cynicism. And so are you guys ready to jump into chapter four? That was a long intro, I'm sorry. Chapter four. Okay. Chapter 4 of Daniel contains the fourth and final story of Daniel's interaction with King Nebuchadnezzar. And the chapter starts out with Nebuchadnezzar telling the story of how he finally comes to recognize the God of Daniel. It's almost like an open letter confession. Chapter 4 starts out where he's 
it's, it's Nebuchadnezzar, and he's writing this letter of confession, and he's sending it to the peoples of the earth. He's sending it to the nations, and he's telling the story of how he came to recognize the power of God. And his story starts with another mysterious dream he has. And this time, the dream is about a tree. And here's the layout of chapter 4. I think we have a slide to show of just kind of how chapter 4 lays out. Chapter 4 lays out like this. Nebuchadnezzar has a dream, and he narrates this dream in verse 1 through 18. And then Daniel comes onto the scene in verse 19 through 27, and he interprets Nebuchadnezzar's dream about this giant tree. And then we have at the end of the chapter, verses 28 through 37, a fulfillment of the dream. And so we're going to read a little each one of these, little from each one of these sections, but I want to encourage you to read chapter four this week on your own. It's a fantastic chapter. But I'm going to invite Kayla to come up, and she's going to read our first section for us, which is Daniel chapter four, verse 10 through 18. While I was lying in my bed, this is what I dreamed. I saw a large tree in the middle of the earth. The tree grew very tall and strong, reaching high into the heavens for all the world to see. It had fresh green leaves, and it was loaded with fruit for all to eat. Wild animals lived in its shade, and birds nested in its branches. All the world was fed from this tree. Then, as I lay there dreaming, I saw a messenger, a holy one, coming down from heaven. The messenger shouted, Cut down the tree and lop off its branches. Shake off its leaves and scatter its fruit. Chase the wild animals from its shade and the birds from its branches. But leave the stump and the roots in the ground, bound with a band of iron and bronze and surrounded by tender grass. Now let him be drenched with the dew of heaven. Let him live with the wild animals among the plants of the field. For seven periods of time, let him have the mind of a wild animal instead of the mind of a human. For this has been decreed by the messengers. It is commanded by the holy ones so that everyone may know that the Most High rules over the kingdoms of the world. He gives them to anyone he chooses, even to the lowliest of people. Belteshazzar, that was the dream that I, King Nebuchadnezzar, had. Now tell me what it means, for none of the wise men in my kingdom can do so. But you can tell me, because the spirit of the holy gods is in you. So there we have in chapter 4, Nebuchadnezzar has this dream. And it's a dream of a tree, a giant tree that's towering to heaven. It's visible to all. It's providing food and shelter to the nations. But then there's a second part to his dream that's really kind of puzzled him. And in the second part of his dream, there's a holy messenger that comes down from heaven. And he commands the tree to be cut down, leaving only the stump. And there's a band of metal that's placed around the stump to protect it and to prevent it from being fully uprooted. It's just chopped down. And then there's this proclamation, this strange proclamation about living as a wild animal or a beast for for seven years. So everyone will know that God rules the kingdoms of, of the world. So when Daniel hears Nebuchadnezzar's dream, we find out in chapter four that Daniel is distraught. Because God is talking to him about what this dream means. And he's so distraught, Nebuchadnezzar sees Daniel and he's not interpreting it for him. And Nebuchadnezzar says to Daniel, don't be afraid, Daniel, just tell me what it means. And then Daniel replies by saying, I wish this dream wasn't about you, king. I wish this dream was about somebody else, but it's not. And I can't help but notice here 
the difference between this conversation and the last time Nebuchadnezzar asked Daniel to interpret a dream. Because in chapter 2, Nebuchadnezzar is so distraught by this kind of crazy dream he has that he threatens to chop up Daniel in little pieces if he doesn't interpret it. But here we see him saying, Daniel, just don't, don't, don't be afraid. What do you mean? Like the last time you had a dream, you, you threatened to chop me up. He says, no, don't be afraid. Just, just tell me what it is. And then we see Daniel respond and say, oh, I, wish, I wish this wasn't about you. What we see is, is that since the last dream, the tenor of their relationship had taken a, a turn. That there's a tone of empathy in their conversation that suggests some form of relational bond. That somehow over the years, perhaps Daniel had become a trusted confidant to the king, which is quite remarkable. Because remember, it was this king, Nebuchadnezzar, who tore Daniel away from his family, who took him away from his home, who captured him and took him into exile, who forced him to abandon his culture, who continuously put him and his three friends in some dicey situations. And yet, here's Daniel in a position where he's become a trusted confidant for this king. And it reminds me of something Jesus said in Matthew chapter 5, verse 43. Jesus said this, you've heard it said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, that you may be children of your Father in heaven. Here's a question for you. When people make decisions that thrust you into tension, is your first instinct to pray for them? When my boss came to me and said, hey, you're going to have to go to the morning shift, my first instinct was not to say a word of prayer for him. It was to say a different word. <laughs> because that's a really difficult thing to do. When somebody makes a decision, it thrusts you into tension. It's really not so easy to, to pray for that person, right? To be a trusted friend to that person. And yet that's what Jesus calls us to. And that's what we see Daniel doing. And I'm convinced more than ever that the church today desperately needs more Daniels. We need more people who will pray for those who cause tension, that will live out Jesus' command to love their enemies, and that will just be a trusted friend to people who don't know God and his ways yet. What a testimony, right? Well, Daniel finally interprets Nebuchadnezzar's dream for him after being persuaded by the king. And here's what Daniel tells the king. King, the tree you saw in your dream is you. You're the tree. Your kingdom has grown large and strong. Your dominion and rule is visible to everyone in the, in, in the earth. But just as the messenger in your dream proclaimed, you're going to be isolated from humanity. You're going to be driven away from people. You're going to take on the behaviors of a beast. How strange is that? You're going to take on the behaviors of a beast and seven years are going to pass by before you humble yourself and acknowledge God. Well, that's quite a thing to hear, right? And in chapter four, verse 27, Daniel says this, King Nebuchadnezzar, please accept my advice. Stop sinning and do what is right. Break from your wicked past. Be merciful to the poor. Perhaps then you will continue to prosper. So Daniel here, after he interprets a dream, he gives the king three pieces of advice. Stop sinning, do what is right. Break from your wicked past and be merciful to the poor. Now, 
Daniel isn't implying that if Nebuchadnezzar does these three good deeds, that he'll somehow save himself or spare himself. What, what Daniel's saying to the king is that by repenting and changing your, your ways, you'll be demonstrating faith in God. See, the book of James in the New Testament tells us this, that, that, that faith has legs, that there's a response and an action in real faith that's demonstrable. And, and Daniel's saying to the king here, Nebuchadnezzar, you need to respond to this dream in faith with repentance. You need to change your ways. Demonstrate that you have faith in God. Well, the king rejects Daniel's advice. What we find out in the next section of chapter 4 is a year later, a whole year passes. And one day, King Nebuchadnezzar is walking on the, the palace roof, and he's admiring all of his, his work. He's admiring all his accomplishments and achievements. All of his building projects have been completed. And he's saying these words out loud, look at this great city I have built with my own power. <laughs> he's saying, what a display of my awesomeness. And Daniel 4 tells us that before the words are even finished coming out of his mouth, a voice comes down from heaven. Pretty dramatic. And this voice says to him, you're no longer ruler of this kingdom. You're going to behave like a beast for seven years until you humble yourself and acknowledge God. See, one thing that I find really interesting is how scripture tells us that you and I, as human beings, are created in God's own image. And that there's a calling there that we're called to be his image bearers or his icons. Yet, our own selfishness and pride and sin can fracture that identity. And it can actually even cause us to walk away from that identity rather than walk toward it. And Nebuchadnezzar's story illustrates that for us. It, 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 there was so much pride in his heart. Even after this amazing dream and Daniel's interprets this dream, he's just unable to kind of acknowledge that God just might be present and involved. And if we want to see where pride and sin ultimately lead us, we only need to read Revelation chapter 13, verse 4. In that chapter, the last chapter of the Bible, Revelation 13, 4, that's where we find the last generation of man worshiping the beast right? Because that's where arrogance and pride lead us, to a place where we've deified our own accomplishments, where we've deified our achievements, and we, and we say this in our heart, look what I've done. I don't need God. I don't need him. And here's the thing about God, is he gives us what we want, a life in existence apart from him. Here's a question for you. What if what if God's judgment isn't about torturing people, but rather giving us what we want? To be left to ourselves, separated from him, separated from his goodness, separated from his blessings. What would it look like if there was a place completely stripped of God's presence? What would a place look like if it was completely void of his goodness, his blessings, his creation, his presence? What if there was a place that was void of any sunshine, light, warmth, a place where there was no water to bring refreshment, no air 
to fill our lungs, no coolness of a breeze. What if there was a place that was completely void of any beauty, imagination, creativity, nature, human interaction? What if there was a place that was absent of contentment, comfort, peace, joy, love, rest? How would you describe such a place? A place like that would be hell. What if hell is nothing more than a place where God and his goodness are absent? What if it's a place we choose by rejecting him and who he is and all of his goodness and all of his blessings? Well, that's a lot to chew on. I just opened a can of worms. We got to move into the next section. But I want you to see here that there's this progression that happens. There's this, this decision-making that happens, and, and God is saying, okay. Like, I, I, I've tried to tell you, but, but your pride and your sin and your selfishness is just it's getting in the way of you responding. And so I'm going to give you what you want. Daniel chapter 4, verse 34. Nebuchadnezzar, after seven years of being a beast, comes to his, his sense. It says, after this time had passed, I, Nebuchadnezzar, looked up to heaven. My sanity returned. And I praised and worshiped the Most High and honored the one who lives forever. And then Nebuchadnezzar goes into a praise song. He says, his ruling is everlasting and his kingdom is eternal. All the people of the earth are nothing compared to him. He does as he pleases among the angels of heaven and among the peoples of the earth. No one can stop him or say to him, what do you mean by doing these things? When my sanity returned to me, so did my honor and glory and kingdom. My advisors and nobles sought me out and I was restored as head of my kingdom with even greater honor than before. Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and glorify and honor the king of heaven. All his acts are just and true, and he is able to humble the proud. See, what's interesting to me about this whole story is even while Nebuchadnezzar is in full-on beast mode, right? he's aware of his fractured condition. And as soon as he looks up to heaven to humble himself, his humanity and health are restored. And what does he do? He immediately turns to praise. He starts to sing this song of praise. I've been asked before as a pastor, why do churches sing so long every Sunday? It's kind of a weird thing to do. Like, oh, you think about it. You come to this room, we have theater chairs, sitting, and everybody just stands up in a row, and we just all sing together. This doesn't happen in very many places. Maybe Irish pubs on occasion when you're doing a sing-along. Maybe at a happy birthday party for, for someone. Or New Year's Eve, right? We might sing together. But it's a rare thing. And, and so people have asked me, why do we do that? Why do we sing for a portion of our Sunday service? Well, we do it to praise, glorify, and honor the King of Heaven. We do it to humble ourselves and remind us Remind ourselves that the kingdoms we build are inferior to his kingdom. That we're created to be his image bearers. We're created to be his icons. So we sing together because it strengthens our faith. It strengthens our faith and it helps us to choose the road to hope. It helps us avoid cynicism and arrogance and apathy, right? That's why we do it. 
And so you might be sitting here and thinking, Adam, this is great. Daniel 4 sounds amazing, but how does Nebuchadnezzar's story apply to me? How am I supposed, I'm not a ruler of an empire like Babylon, and I don't have really a lot to be, you know, I'm not anything big. Well, I'll say this, don't be fooled, because we boast about the kingdoms we build too, right? We look at our lives and we look at our accomplishments, we look at our achievements and say, look what I've done. I came from a broken home, but look what I've done. Look what I've, all the people around me, all my friends and companions, they're kind of a mess, but look at me, I've got it together, right? We look at... uh, other people who maybe are less fortunate in different positions and because we love to feel superior, we love to feel self-sufficient, right? We say, look how good I am. I don't, I don't need God. I don't, definitely don't need church. And the same pride and arrogance that deceived Nebuchadnezzar can lure us too, right? See, I believe this, that... that Church attendance in general in America and in the world is, is declining um, because we've convinced ourselves that we don't need God. See, I love, listen, I'm really thankful that, that we live in a, in a country of affluence, right? But at the same time, we've used that affluence to convince ourselves that we don't need God. We have medicine, we have science, we have health care. We have houses, we have transportation, we have good jobs, and we have a savings account, and even if we don't have a savings account, we have a credit card to, put, to buy stuff if we really need to, right? We, we, we have so many different things to lean on that we don't, we've convinced ourselves we don't need God. I can do all of this, this whole life thing, I can do it in my own power, right? And we, we fall into the same snare that Nebuchadnezzar fell in. So here's, here's my closing question for you this morning. Where do you need to humble yourself and acknowledge God today? What do you need to praise him for? Because sometimes we get living our lives and we just think, man, I'm just killing it right now. I'm just crushing it. Work's going good. Family's going good. Got everything going well. And we start to think that, that we're self-sufficient, that we're superior James chapter 4, verse 6 says this. As the scripture says, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. So humble yourselves before God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Come close to God and God will come close to you. So here's what we're going to do to wrap up this morning. We're going to sing together one song. And I'm going to encourage you to humble yourself. Take a moment, humble yourself. Praise, glorify, and honor God. Humble yourself. Just come, whatever it is you need to praise him for, however, whatever you need to, you, you look at your own kingdoms and, and, and see where you've taken credit and where, where you, you think that you've been self-sufficient and superior and just say, hey, you know what, God, I repent of that. Like, it, it, it's, really, it's really about you, not my own kingdom that I'm building. And so can we do that this morning? Let me pray for us and then we'll stand and sing together. Lord, in many ways, this book called Daniel is really encouraging, and in in many other ways, it's really challenging. Lord, sometimes when I read this book, I'm, I'm relating to Daniel and his three friends, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, but also there's times when I'm reading this book and I relate to Nebuchadnezzar. So Lord, I just confess 
pride in my own life, in this, this false narrative that sometimes I grab onto that, that I don't need to be dependent on you. Lord, would you, would you come and just con- convince our hearts <laughs> Lord, that, that we, we do need you, that we're made in your image to bear your image to be icons. And Lord, would you give us the courage to walk toward that, not away from it. So Lord, I pray for all my friends here, Lord, that, that they would be able to take a moment this morning to humble themselves and to praise, to give honor and to give glory to you, just like Nebuchadnezzar did. God, would you give us a new pers- perspective of who you are and what you're inviting us into? And we'll give you all the praise for it. In Jesus' name, amen. Why don't we stand together? Thank you for listening to our podcast. Church at the Well is a community reintroducing Jesus in Vermont through worship, service, creativity, and community.